0: Snuff Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Tuesday, May 11. It is Budget Day, which is exciting. More exciting is that this is The Briefing's 100th episode for the year. Annika Smithhurst, congratulations.
1: Both very exciting achievements, landmarks, big days in history, Tom Tilly. (laughs)
0: All right, in today's briefing, uh, an amazing story. A refugee who was stuck on Manus Island for seven years has fought his way into America's bare-knuckle fighting championship.
2: I want to fight. I didn't fight for myself. I fight for my people.
1: The incredible story of Ezatullah Kakar in just a moment. Now, he's on the brink of a professional fighting career.
2: Now, speaking
0: of the budget, Annika, um, it's a very interesting day for you. It is every year and kind of an unusual day, I guess, for members of the general public. It's kind of weird slash interesting the way you have to spend budget day, isn't it?
1: Yeah, this one's a little bit different because we're in a COVID situation, but traditionally there is one lock-up in Canberra. There's actually two this year, one in Sydney, which is the one I'll be in, but you go into a room with... Hundreds of journalists, uh, from you know people who are comedians who go in to do skits and, and and film to some of the biggest economic minds in the country, they bring in a lot of takeaway food, often cold pizza that sits mm. around all day, bottles of water, and they bring out the budget books, which basically look like, if anybody still remembers them, the yellow pages, except they're white, and they just have page after page after page of economic information on the things they're gonna deliver as a government. Now, it's not that overwhelming because usually they divvy it up. So in past years, I might've been given infrastructure Mm. or sport announcements, and you're tasked with just writing, I guess, that one story for the day. The catch is you don't have any internet. You don't have your mobile phone. So you have to bring all the paperwork that you might need into the room. So any background information, anything you think might help with your story has to come into the room with you and you've got to have it all ready for about 7.30 when the Treasurer gets up to make his speech and everything goes live online.
0: Yeah, so basically you're getting this information to pour over so you can get your stories ready, but you can't put them out during the day. You have to wait for the Treasurer's speech before you can publish.
1: Correct. And all our computers don't have the internet. There's also a lot of people walking around checking on you and you do sign a waiver. So if you were to sneak something out, everybody would know (laughs) and you'd never be invited back.
0: And which part of the budget have you been asked to focus on for the age?
1: Uh, I am actually doing the Victorian angle, unsurprisingly, because I do work for the age, and I think the main focus of that might be infrastructure. The state government down here have a huge infrastructure project Uh, Lots of them on the go. Don't know how they're going to pay for them. So they'll be hoping for a little bit of cash to get that out.
0: All right. Yeah, really interesting to hear how it works. We'll be peeling back the layers on the whole budget process tomorrow on the briefing as we bring you a special budget episode explaining the ins and outs and what it means for you. Let's get into today's headlines, though, uh, starting with some of the news coming out ahead of the budget.
1: The federal government has sounded the alarm over the cost of the National Disability Insurance Scheme, warning it could take over Medicare within three years.
0: The ABC's reporting that Treasurer Josh Frydenberg will use tonight's budget to predict the scheme will cost more than $30 billion by 2024. Um, so all eyes will be on the government to see how they're going to pay for this increasingly expensive scheme.
1: And if you're looking for a job or considering reskilling, the government's expected to announce programs to retrain Australian workers to deal with the skills shortage, which has really been made worse by those border closures.
0: Yeah, and it sounds like uh, Anthony Albanese's staffers have been um, working hard on their zingers ahead of tonight's budget. Here's a taste of the sort of um, hilarious rebuttals he'll be coming up with.
3: This is like a showbag budget, a budget that looks pretty flashy, but when you take it home, only lasts a few days.
0: Maybe it gives you a stomach ache as well <laughs> from all the candy. <laughs>
1: It sounds like he's almost promoting it there. Look, News Corp is also reporting stronger than expected economic growth. We'll see the budget deficit come back in at $161 billion, which is $52 billion lower than the shortfall expected last year at the height of COVID. It's still a big deficit mm. compared to where we used to be.
0: Well, yeah, they were all excited in 2019 about heading back into the black, but that was blown out of the water by COVID. So yeah, that bigger picture economic narrative will be an interesting part of the budget to night that the budget has ended up better than expected because of the way Australia's handled the COVID rebound. But uh, I guess there's a lot of concerns about how this will keep going, given we don't have migrant workers and overseas travel and some of our big industries like uh, international students have been hit so hard.
1: The federal court has dismissed a key part of the legal challenge to overturn the government's India travel ban.
0: The case was brought by Gary Newman, uh, who's currently stuck in India, and says the ban contravenes his citizenship rights.
1: But lawyers for the government say they were empowered to make such rules under the Biosecurity Act, which they compared to a legislative bulldozer designed to override other laws.
0: The judge dismissed concerns about the legality of the ban, but the ABC's report Mr Newman's lawyers are now considering whether to raise constitutional concerns over the act itself.
1: As many as nine people have been killed following a spate of rocket attacks and airstrikes between Israel and Palestine.
0: Militants in Gaza fired rockets into Israel after hundreds of Palestinians were injured in protests against Israeli police over in a disputed part of Jerusalem.
1: Israel later confirmed it had launched airstrikes against Gaza and had killed three militants, but Palestinian authorities said nine people, including children, died in the attacks.
0: NRL star Jack DeBellin and friend Callan Sinclair are waiting to see if they'll have to face court again after their second trial for rape ended in a hung jury.
1: The jury in Sydney yesterday was only able to agree that the men were not guilty of one of the five charges they were each facing and couldn't reach a verdict on the others.
0: The deadlock came after a jury in Wollongong last year was also unable to reach a verdict and the New South Wales Director of Public Prosecutions will now have to decide whether or not they're going to pursue a third trial. Nepal is
1: asking climbers on Mount Everest to bring back their empty oxygen tanks as the country grapples with a shortage of canisters amid a surge in COVID infections.
0: The Nepal Mountaineering Association and government officials have asked people climbing the world's highest peak to hold on to their empty cylinders, which are usually left behind on the mountain.
1: Many hospitals in Nepal have been unable to take in more patients due to shortages of oxygen, as the country witnesses a 30-fold increase in the number of new daily COVID cases.
0: All right, that is it for the news headlines. In just a moment, the incredible story of Ezzatullo Akaka.
1: In this briefing, a story of courage, perseverance and bare-knuckle fighting. From seven years detained on Manus Island to elite fighting in America, this is the story of Ezatullah Kakar.
0: Yeah, it's an incredible story. It was just two weeks ago that Ezatullah stepped into the ring for his first fight in America's bare-knuckle fighting championship and he won in just 33 seconds.
2: I cannot believe what I did, so I did it.
0: (laughs) That's Ezatullah in tears after his victory, and we're going to speak to him in just a moment, but first some quick background on his story.
1: Ezatullah was a champion kickboxer in Pakistan before violence in his region forced him to travel to Malaysia, where he got on a boat in 2013. The timing, though, was terrible because it was right as Australia toughened up its border policies.
3: If people smugglers try and bring asylum seekers to Australia by boat, those people will not be settled in Australia.
0: That was Kevin Rudd, uh, who was the Prime Minister at the time, right before the 2013 election, uh, which, of course, he lost. Annika, talk us through the the background of the politics on this one.
1: So between 2008 and 2013, uh, they were Labor years. More than 50,000 asylum seekers arrived in Australia by boat. So that prompted what we heard then, that tough line approach from the Labor government to say that anybody who tried to arrive in Australia by boat would have a lifetime ban. They wouldn't be able to settle here, even if they were found to be genuine refugees. Now, subsequent governments have actually kept that policy in place. But that didn't solve the problem of what happened to those people that were already here. So they lived on places like Manus Island and Nauru. And at its peak, Nauru housed more than 1,200 asylum seekers, while the PNG island of Manus had more than 1,300 asylum seekers. And they were there without any potential to be processed to move to Australia.
0: Yeah, and the conditions were pretty horrific in some cases. So there was a lot of pressure building on the government at that time to treat those 2,500, roughly, uh, asylum seekers humanely. Eventually, Annika, the political fix came from Barack Obama in 2016.
1: So it was Malcolm Turnbull and President Barack Obama who came up with this idea for to swap, I guess, refugees. So the US said they would take 1,250 of our refugees who have been processed but were stuck on Manus and Nauru in exchange for Australia taking refugees from El Salvador, Guatemala and Honduras. Now, that seems weird. If you're going to take refugees, why not take the ones that are just closest to you? But it's meant to be a deterrent so that people uh, don't think they can continue 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 to come by boat and settle where they want to.
0: Yeah, it was a very peculiar deal in some ways and one that um, Donald Trump didn't really like when he came to power either. President Trump calling the Australian refugee agreement a very bad deal.
3: The Prime Minister's review of the call was that he stood his ground and he got what he wanted. I want to thank President Trump
0: for uh, honouring the deal. So despite Trump's um, dislike for the deal, they did stick with it. And so since 2017, that time when Trump came to power, uh, 932 of those refugees have been transferred to America, including Esatula.
1: Craig Foster is a former Socceroo and a refugee advocate. He says Esatula's story shows how much Australia is missing out on by having this hardline policy.
3: Well, it's actually quite a common story. His is, uh, you know, slightly different in that he's a boxer, of course, and he was a, a champion, I think the youngest kickboxing champion of Pakistan, and a kid with just an incredible amount of drive and, and resilience and, uh, and passion. So he was training every day and, and dreaming of fighting again. Uh, he ended up having a couple of fights in PNG, and he actually won a world title. And now, of course, as you're aware, he's he's got himself across to the US and he's now, you know, fighting in what is a very high level of mixed martial arts fighting, and, and I think he's won four and four. So it's an incredible story of inspiration because what he went through, Australians should understand, was horrendous.
1: Craig Foster there. And there are still 140 asylum seekers and refugees stuck in PNG and Nauru. Craig has been very outspoken about the government's treatment of them, many of them who have now been in limbo for years and years.
3: The Australian government started to spend tens of millions, if not hundreds, on the Australian Navy doing what they call turnbacks. Mm. Under international law, if people are fleeing persecution um, and seeking safe refuge, you cannot turn them back and send them back to harm. And if we say that actually over 85% of those who ended up offshore were actual refugees, what that means is you're turning back at least 85% of people who are in need of refuge.
1: Ezatula is still concerned about them too. Now he joins us from Philadelphia.
0: Ezatula, thank you so much for joining us. After all you've been through, what was it finally like to fight at this elite level in America?
2: I'm so happy I did my best, like, you know, I don't want to give up on this, my my own sports and my own dream. So this dream actually
0: started a long time ago for you back in Pakistan before you even made the journey to Australia. How important was this dream of fighting at, at this elite level and in getting you through those seven years of detention?
2: Everyone have dreams. Everyone have own dreams. But the problem is like uh, the Australia government. It's uh, this is true. They, uh, the Australian government they destroy many people dreams. But uh, I I didn't give up, and I was in the detention center from, like for many years, and I keep my training, and I push my friends, and I am uh, I was the only person I fight for my people, for Manos people, for Naruto.
1: What was your I guess reasons for wanting to come to Australia?
2: In my village area, in my uh, province Balochistan, there is a lot of people. There's they, they are struggling under guns, and they are using the guns. So I want to be like that person. I was keeping hope will Australia treat me very good because we seen the people. Uh, Australia was very good with the refugees long time ago, but uh, uh, unfortunately, when we came in 2013, but Australia changed everything.
1: So tell us about your journey to Australia. How did you get? here and where were you intercepted?
2: So I came to Malaysia and then I came from Malaysia by boat to Indonesia and then I was in Indonesia. I came to uh, by boat to uh, uh, Australia in 2013 after 14 days I was in the Christmas Island and then they moved towards Papua New Guinea and I was remember when they put me, uh, when they locked my hand uh, and they put me in the airplane and I, I went to Papua New Guinea, Manus Island. So it was very painful days, I, I cannot forget. You know, if you keep something good from your heart, that will come to you, but you have to try best.
0: Yeah, it's amazing that you were able to, I, I guess, keep up your physical strength and your hopes during so many years of detention. What was it like living in Manus Island? And and what was it like when you got the offer to be transferred to America?
2: One day is like was a one years so honestly, When I did my last fight, three fight in uh, Philippines, so I went on UN documents to Philippines. So I did three fights in three weeks. And then when I came and the next day I got a letter and they said the USA immigration need you. So I went there in the office and they said, hey, we want you to take you soon. So I was very happy, but I was very sad for my people too. So when I came to USA and I started the cleaning job, four months I did cleaning job in North Carolina and I still was going to gym, and after that I moved to Philadelphia, I got the truck license, I was driving the truck, but I didn't give up on my dream. I was talking with the bare knuckle from last eight months, and they said, we will give you a chance, you just wait and we will give you a chance. And then they give me the chance, finally, so I stopped the truck. I just did four weeks training but my shoulder was dislocated before two weeks before the fight. Even yeah. you can see the video. I just did fight for left hand. My right hand was very pain. The man made me very strong, honestly, when I said no there was very horrible situation i said no i want to fight i didn't fight for myself i fight for my people i fight for Manus silent honestly i pray for them i said i want to fight this for those people who are still in the detention center so this is what i believe god is with me so when you do something from your heart definitely you have to win
0: so you were driving a truck to pay your way through your training which is incredible as you just said before you you stopped driving so that you could focus on this one big fight. You've had this big fight now. You won convincingly. You smashed Chris Saro. What happens next? Are you close to being able to go professional with your fighting and stopping You know, having to do the other work like truck driving or cleaning?
2: So, I have to drive the truck, and like, you know, I have to work, make money. I did everything by myself. I don't have management. I I only have one coach. He is Mohamed Suri. He also spent seven years in Manus detention with me because he uh, he trained me in Manus very hard. And when I was winning the uh, kick, kickboxing title from the undefeated PNG champion, so he was with me. And that's why I decided I don't have anything. I have to take this guy. He's my coach because I am the only person I can listen to him very good. I wish I have sponsors, like I find something to support me. Definitely I can change my, my society back and I can change something. The next tip, I might be, I, I have a good fight. I will see for the next two weeks maybe.
1: What does the future hold for you in the US? Is this where you, I guess, intend to spend the rest of your life? And what does it mean should you ever want to enter Australia, even as a tourist?
2: I'm trying to keep my dream and my fighting and this is how uh, my all uh, Manus people, they are here and they are driving all trucks and they are very, really proud of me. And they said, "Is that you are the uh, really inspiration for us. Like I want to keep the people to don't give up on dream, like special Manus people and Nauru people. This is very important. So I might be, I'm the reason to keep them very strong, to keep them, to not give up on the dream.
1: Are you allowed to enter Australia if you ever wanted to come here as, say, a tourist or... Aren't you ever allowed back?
2: Honestly, my heart is very broken from Australia, and still, when I I cry after fight very hard, and I was very emotional. It's painful, like you know, we are still emotional when we when we think about my friends, when we think about Australia. But yeah, I love Australians people where they are supporting refugees. Honestly, I wish to go there to meet with those people who support, who are still supporting Manus and Naro. Yeah, I wish to go there.
1: So the Australian government continues this policy that anybody who comes here by boat won't be able to live in Australia. What do you think about that and should they change it?
2: Honestly, if I get the chance to go to Australia, if I want to see any politician, I will go down in in them leg, like, you know, I will kiss them foot to please like feet, you know. To leave these innocent people like it's very important like you know like everyone is like have dream like me See how my family is happy like we are all human beings we have very short life you know the australian government the politician, they, they they should look to them family to their parents and they think like about the innocent people they should change these things like it's so long honestly it's made me every time cry It's made me every time emotional, like I am free, I am doing my own things, I'm doing work, I'm doing my sports. Why they are still in this situation, they should be changed, like enough is enough.
0: Ezatullah Kakar there, an incredible story, just amazing, you can still hear how passionate he is for the other people stuck on Naru and Manus. Um, I guess good news for him, Anika, with such a strong performance in that first fight, you could only imagine they'll be paying him more and more to come back and fight again.
1: He's hoping that happens and that he can embrace his life and, and get into it in the US and maybe even one day stop driving trucks, Tom.
0: Yeah, it'd be amazing if he can make a living out of this dream and support his family back home in Pakistan as well. All right, that is it for today's briefing. Annika, looking forward to a very special budget episode tomorrow morning. Listener.